right. How you doing, oh, Steven? Oh, Jesus. We are recording this one late. This is a late one for uh, for me. Uh, this is this is very late for Steven. <laughs> it's, it's my prime time hours. It is currently past midnight. It it's is actually 1 wine, a.m. Yes. It's 1 a.m. on the dot, which is kind of spooky, uh, if you will, because, you know, late night always gets a little spooky. But, yeah, so it is 1 a.m. on the dot on August the 9th, just to give you all a... A timeline yes. of and and it should uh, release and it should release today too because I'm on it being that we you know we we are coming out with uh, one back to back weeks here right um, we we got to switch our schedule up again so uh, you know not to so we don't have to be gone for two weeks um, we we are coming back with another episode of the Cinema Discovery Project um, yes you know I'm Stephen Billings that's Andrew Cabral um, we do our best here to. Uh, just uh, have fun talking movies and, and hopefully maybe, you know, hopefully talk about something you don't know about. Uh, and, and sometimes just talk about things that everybody knows about and just geek out and have fun. And and uh, that's kind of what we're going to do today since we didn't have, a, didn't have a lot of time to uh, prepare for anything. So we decided no. this week we would – we're going to do a list here. We're going to do our first list episode, I think. I don't think we've done a list episode. Um and this is going to be since we're almost through the end of this decade, um, we decided we're going to do a top ten of the decade, so 2010 right. to 2000 to, to present. You know, um, pretty much. Yeah, and uh, you know, we thought that that would be something easy and fun, and we you can reminisce about some some great movies over the last decade. So, um, anything else before we any rolls? You you want to start from ten and work our way to the to one? Yeah, I would say ten and work our way to one. Um, there is actually no overlap. Between Stephen and I, yeah, we, we which is yeah. kind of nice, yeah. because I thought we would actually have things in common, but we don't. We have a very. Well, I, th- I think we we both favorites. like the movies on each other's lists, but you know, yes. it just happens that uh, we we uh, chose some other things, and uh, that, that's very good. True. That's good for the episode, and and uh, I, you know, I'm excited to talk about these movies. I mean, some of the some of the ones on your list, um, I don't know as well as you do, and uh, I, I can't wait to hear more from your point of view. Um, and guys, you know, when we're done, I want, we want to hear from you guys. What are your top ten of the decade? I mean, we, you know, type them in. Maybe next episode we'll read off some or something. I mean, who knows? But um, all right. Do you want to go one, one and one, go back and forth? Uh, yeah, that that that'll work. Okay. I mean, I also want to like really say specifically that um, it's you know it's our. Yeah, it's it's our personal list, so don't get it's offended. Not, it's not it's not what we think are the here. best movies of the decade. I mean, some might think some of these movies are the best movies of the decade, maybe, but um, these are these are more our personal lists. Some of these right. are more f- personal favorites, um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, and these are our favorites. They're not necessarily the best of the decade. You'll see a bunch of best of the decade lists cropping up right around now. They're kind of our inspiration for this for this episode because we kind of wanted to get our thoughts out on there but have it more a little more casual than analytical yeah i think because when you get into analytics it becomes way more like i feel like i would have to have seen a lot more of the movies to really have a um a say on what's the best movies of the decade yeah and and that would require i think a lot of rewatch on our a lot of rewatch a lot of reflecting on movies that yeah because we're going back to 2010 that's a long long time ago for many of us i can't believe i i and in a way i can't believe that it's already 
the well, end yeah, of the I mean, I just, yeah, some of the, I'm surprised it's I'm surprised I'm making it to 2020. Yeah, just looking so back at the years and seeing what movies, even some of the movies on my list, and I'm looking and saying, hey, wait, that movie came out in 2012. What? Like, yeah, I know. Got to play the the movie date game, basically, uh, where we're just trying to figure out um, what you know what came out when. It's like, man, I can't believe all these movies came out in this specific year. Yeah, but. But but getting into our list, um, my number ten, starting way at the bottom, is a movie that I fell in love with instantly, and it's a movie that is kind of before or, or around the time where I really got into really loving loving movies to an extreme, like really collecting, really yeah. getting into things. And this was actually my favorite movie of 2011, and that is the movie Fifty Fifty, yeah. starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt as well as Seth Rogen. Uh, Anna Kendrick is in the film, Bryce Dallas Howard is in the film, Angelica Houston, and it's directed by Jonathan Levine, who at the time, I think this may have this been This was his, his first movie, I'm pretty sure. His first movie. He's gone on to uh, direct um, several films. He directed um, the movie Longshot that just came out this year, yeah. coincidentally also starring Seth Rogen, uh, The Night Before. Um, yeah, he, he, he also did Warm Bodies, which is basically a zombie Romeo and Juliet yeah, movie. Yeah. But 50-50 is one of my favorite films uh-huh. of the decade because it is a genuinely heartfelt and just genuinely uh, layered film. For those of you who don't know about it, basically Joseph Gordon-Levitt is kind of the star of it. It's his story. And he is someone who is, believes he's you know perfectly healthy, perfectly normal, and one day he gets diagnosed with cancer and it's just him having to deal with that and having to deal with the ramifications of that um personally and just how it affects his relationship with his friend his best friend in seth rogan his girlfriend and bryce dallas howard and a lot of the people he meets along the way um impact his life and things like that it's a very very underrated film in my opinion very low-key but also very genuine for those of you who don't know i have a big history with cancer i had cancer when i was a little kid so seeing all of the emotions in this film and seeing all of the people and just all the things that you go through i thought they nailed really really well because i also think that it was um a movie that was based on the like the their friend who yeah, was dealing yeah, yeah, with yeah. a cancer diagnosis i can't remember if it was jonathan levine himself or if it i was think it was writer. levine himself I, I, if i, I remember you correctly right yeah, and and I would have to actually um, go into that, but it basically was based on a true story, quote unquote, yeah. if you will, or at least you know inspired by. Yeah. I guess that's more of an of an appropriate um, approximation of that. But yeah, that's my favorite film. I've seen it a bunch of times. I have the original poster up, and I'm looking at it right now, and it's just it's the scene where. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is shaving his head. It's basically the post you see on IMDb, and it's just and you and Seth Rogen has the most weird face in it. One of my, what, um, my favorite scene in that movie yeah. was the scene where he finally has his breakdown, and he's driving the car, and he just like yeah, yeah and he's like by him, and he's just like slamming on the on the Joseph Gordon-Levitt's fantastic in the movie. This was part of that time where um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was on the rise. This was right around that that Joseph Gordon-Levitt era where he, he had did premium rush. Days of summer. 
Oh, okay, we're not talking about that. <laughs> but he did, he did 500 Days of Summer. He did 50-50. He was in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. He was in Don John. He was in um, Looper. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he just kind of disappeared over the last couple of years. I th- I he's think, still around. Yeah, he's I around. I think him. he's just he's spending some time doing some other... He's also a producer of content. and he um, Right. He's, I know he's been working on that Sandman thing. I don't know if he's doing that anymore, but I know he wanted to do the Sandman show or yeah that now that's becoming something completely different but it just going back to what i was saying yeah it is about the the screenwriter of the story will rise okay okay he was the one who had cancer and and then he and he um eventually recovered and they wrote they wrote this this film yeah uh but yeah it's a very personal film for me in digging up a lot of personal emotions and yeah it's a fantastic film i highly recommend it for everyone agreed agreed all right. Well, my number. Your number ten. My number ten is um, one that you know I, I I came to it not when it first came out. Um, I kind of came to it a little bit later, um, and it it just surprised me. I mean, um, I I just think it's a very endearing, a very sentimental. I like sentimental movies every once in a while. Okay. Um, and this movie is you're, you're sensitive man. I am. I'm very man. sensitive. Don't make me cry. Um. <laughs> Uh, and this is a movie from 2013, and it's called About Time. Um, oh, and this is uh, directed by Richard Curtis. It stars Donald Gleason, um, Rachel McAdams, Bill Nye. Um, it, it's it's about this. Um, Donald Gleason plays this guy who's kind of you know he's kind of a you know a little bit of a I wouldn't say a loser, but he's he's you know he's just a guy that's trying to you know essentially get a girlfriend that's kind of what he says at the beginning you know but he finds out from his father played by bill nye that all the men in his family have this ability to travel through time travel back in time you know to be more directly um so you know he can travel within his life and go back and change things and and you know it'll have an effect on the rest of his life so but the movie is not really about that necessarily the movie is about how you know you know, you have to, you know, the little things matter, you know, don't let life slip away. You know, when you use time travel, you tend to take that for granted. You, for, you know, you take things for granted and the movie delves into that idea of, you know, not taking things for granted and, and just kind of sitting back and, you know, marveling at everything, you know, and it's, there's a lot more to it too. It's also, of course, a romance with Rachel McAdams. Uh, it's. I just think it's a very sincere film. It it, kind, right. it really kind of gives me moving every time I see it, and um, and it also makes me think. It, there's a great father son relationship in the movie that I just really relate to, and I yeah, I, I just think it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, it really is. It's it, you know Richard Curtis knows how to tug on your he heart does. strings. He of course did Love Actually, mm-hmm. which is another one that's that's rather emotional, heartwarming film. Um, yeah, this film is really before a lot of these actors really popped yeah. up. Donald Gleason, no one kind of knew who he was before he was in a, really anything of note. Um, a really small performance by Margot Robbie. Yeah. So this was around the, I want to say this was around the same time as Wolf of Wall Street. It was like, right, yeah, yeah, it was, I think, yeah, it, I think it released right, right maybe after or maybe right before. Yeah, but it's something yeah. I think she did before she probably did Wolf of Wall Street yeah. or maybe the same time. And yeah, she's in that film. It's a really, really good, heartwarming, like tug at your heartstrings. Probably one of Richard Curtis's better films. And it's manipulative, of course, but man, when it gets you, it gets you. 
you know, I mean, we say manipulative, but you know, that's what that's the point of movies. <laughs> True. But to, to they manipulate us, to get they're you. all trying to manipulate us, whether it's for you know being sentimental or to try to scare us or to you know, they're all manipulative. Some could be more subtle, but you know. <clears throat> Very true. Very true. Um, all right, man. Should I go to my number nine? Do it, man. Should I go to my Do number it. nine? Yeah, my number nine is another film similar to uh, Fifty Fifty in that it is a a film that's dealing with cancer as well, and that is Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, based on the novel of the same name. This came out in 2015, and I saw this in the theater, and man, I, I wept. I wept <laughs> talking about, you know, you just talk about crying while watching About Time. I cried at the end of this movie profusely, um, and I cried again when I saw it, and then I cried again when I saw it. Um, it's a it's a film that's very emotional for me, and it's very personal because I have that connection with cancer as well, but also because the the main um, a character in this film, who's played by Thomas Mann, uh, Greg, is someone who I see a lot of myself in. Like, he's someone who is a cinephile, and there's literally a moment, there are moments of this movie where they're talking about classic, like, classic cinema, art house cinema. There's moments where they go to, like, this library or this place to and they're shuffling through criterion titles yeah. and things like that and they're they're also like he's also like a young filmmaker who's trying who's in high school and he's like making these really shitty low budget <laughs> parody movies of classic movies and he's got his fr- he's got he's got like a best friend uh, portrayed by RJ Siler who is also really good in the film they have a great relationship relationship and there in the girl who is at the center of you know the dying girl part is played by Olivia Cook in amazing fashion i thought she was revelatory in her performance in this film and yet again it's a very emotional film that really gets at a lot of universal truths when dealing with uh life and death at such a young age and there's just a lot of a lot of great themes in here that really spoke to me. And it's a film that I visited a few times. And I also, right after I saw the movie, I drove to my local Barnes & Noble, coincidentally the same one where I buy all my Criterions, yeah. and I bought the book right away. Yeah. And I've had it ever since. So, yeah, I really love this movie. And I want to say who directed it. It is Alfonso Gomez Rayon, who is someone whom I'm not too familiar with he directed a couple of things, um, yeah, some TV, and mostly TV, actually. Yeah, he, he directed The Town That Dreaded Sundown, he directed, of course, Me and Earl the Dying Girl, The Current War, and then a lot of television. Yeah, The Current American War is that movie that's, like, been put on the shelf. Oh, has it that's been? That's the one with Benedict Cumberbatch, the, the, about Thomas Edison and... Oh my goodness, I saw a trailer yeah. for that recently at the theater. I think it's finally getting a release. Way back when. Yeah, yeah it's, it has a credit here of 2017. Yeah. That's been sitting on the shelf for years. Um, okay. Go, Steven. You want to go to your number All right. nine? Number nine. Number nine. Um, this mm. one, you know, you I, the year it came out, which is 2016, you remember me just singing the praises of this uh, probably Uh-oh. over, I think we, when we were doing the top five weekly, this was my number one of that year, and it is Sing Street. Oh, oh yes. my. I knew this was going to be on this Yes. List. Um, Sing Street is directed by John Carney, who, you know, if you were go back and watch the video, I coined this as the Love and Music trilogy, uh, this being the third movie, uh, paired, you know, going with uh, uh, the, the movie Once and also um, 
shit, what's the middle movie? I'm blanking right now. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, I'm going to find... Is that the... You're talking about the movie with... Um, Kara Knightley and... Kara Knightley. Um, Begin and, uh, Again. Yes, the Hulk. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Mark Ruffalo <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> um, but Sing Street's about... Uh, it's, it's, you know, John Carney is a, a Irish director and it's set in Ireland. Uh, these kids... It's just it's kind of a coming of age story. You got this one main kid who's uh, used to a certain lifestyle, goes to private school, and now he's getting put into public school. And he, you know, meets friends and sees this girl, and he wants to impress her, so he starts a band. And it just that whole that whole idea of starting a band to impress a girl just that relates to me. And I, I think just John Carney knows how to infuse music into a film without necessarily making it what I would say is a traditional musical. Um, and I love how he does that. I, and, and his songs are so... He's part of the writing team that writes these songs. These songs are so catchy. Um, it's the same year that La La Land came out. And it pissed me off that two songs from La La Land get nominated for an Oscar and none of the songs from this movie get nominated. And Drive It Like it sto- Drive It Like You Stole It should have been Oscar nominated. It's so catchy. Yeah, it would have been a better performance. Oh, it would have been such a better Oscar performance song, yeah. Um, Than a medley of La La Land, which the music from that movie is also great as well. Yeah, yeah. No shade on La. I like La La Land, but Sing Street stole my heart uh, that year. And uh, and it's just, I love a good coming-of-age story, and I love good music, and it just, that, that I can watch that movie over and over. I've seen it probably 10 or 10 to 15 times by now. I, I love the movie. All right. Yeah, it's a great, it's, yeah, I, I did it with Steven. I've seen it several times. It's a great coming of age film. Great themes of coming of age. And the ending is really, Oh, it gets me every time. Oh, it gets me every time. Yeah. It's very, uh, Jack Rayner, who plays the older brother in that uh-huh. film, I think is really exceptional. Just giving yeah. kind of like very older brotherly, brotherly life advice that, you know, some of it's good, some of it's not so he's, good. He, he's he's a character that hasn't done a lot with his life, but he right. has a lot of he wisdom. Lot of he has a lot of wisdom yeah. in that. Not you know he he's very self aware, so he knows right. that he has his faults, and he tries to tell his brother the things that he should do so he doesn't do what he did. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, it's and, and yeah, the ending just oh god, it gets me every time. But um, all right, well, what is your number? We number eight. eight now? Yes. Yeah, number eight is a film that not everybody loves, but it's a film that I really love a lot, and that is Blade Runner 2049, mm. the, I guess, long-awaited sequel to I don't to think anybody the thought there Blade was going to be a sequel film. to this movie. No, no, no. That's why I said long, long-awaited, <laughs> I guess. Uh, this one is directed not by Ridley Scott, who directed the original film. This is directed by Denis Villeneuve, who is... I think a visionary of oh, yeah. modern filmmaking. This film is so many things, and it's really difficult to explain yeah. it to people because it is. Imagine t- making a like two hundred million dollar art house sci fi film, and that's basically what this movie is. Dystopian is all heck. It takes place in the Blade Runner world, like years after the events of the first film. Yeah. Um, it stars Ryan Gosling. Um, Harrison Ford comes back reprising his role from the original film and Jared Leto Jared Leto's in in the film as well Um, uh, Robin Wright has a small role Anna Diarmas is in the film as well she's a really good 
good character actress. But man, there's so many thematic layers in this film, and there's the the production, the way this film looks, is mind blowing in my opinion. The cinematography by by Roger Deakins, which he finally won an Oscar, finally won an Oscar for it, and it's long overdue because it is. a gorgeously looking film. Hans Zimmer does the the um, theatrical score as well. It's haunting. Yeah. Not only haunting, but it's just like there's a pulse in there, and it's just driving the film. And man, Ryan Gosling is one of the best actors out there who is able to convey so much while doing so little. Mm-hmm. Just looks and impressions, eye acting, and things like that. He does a lot of that throughout his career, to the point where people i think i think undervalue his performance they think it's boring yeah. because he's not flashy in any way and his characters aren't flashy but there's so much to there that you're not seeing that really needs to be further explored and man i know this film is considered i think a box office failure or a flop or disappointment but man there was no way this movie was going to be for everyone there was just no it, way it's... this movie was going to make like a billion dollars, no, no, you know no, no, what no. I mean? No matter how great the marketing, you know, w- was or wasn't, yeah. it's just not that type of. Yeah, movie. honestly, I don't know how it got. It, Danny got it, got it made. I, I, you know, to like he, I don't he know, tricked him. Yeah, he used know. some kind of mind trick or something because he he must have had some Nolan mind tricks, where, which yeah. was like we're just gonna let you do whatever you want. And somehow he's done and it again. He's done it again with Dune because he's. So far, at least from what we hear, they're they're giving him the money to do it. So Warner Brothers is all in with Den- with Denis Villeneuve, and he's a, an amazing director. He's done Arrival, Prisoners, um, just well uh, uh, other films. Know, I mean, that I, can't I, mean I mean, Warner Brothers is known for being a more filmmaker central studio. You know, they they invest in Nolan, kind of, kind well, of. Well, yeah, but I mean, sure, they have their franchises. But if you if you think about any other studio that really like makes the director a star it's warner brothers you know they yeah, Clint Eastwood. Well, i mean certain for a certain for, to, for a certain perspective yes when it comes to like franchises they have us they have a, a a history of getting uh, involved and i mean oh, specifically yeah, that, yeah, with yeah. you know the current dc stuff with justice league and Zack snyder and all that kind of they did the same thing with um richard donner back at, for superman 2 sure. like 40 years ago you know they have a they have a history of getting involved in that area, but in other areas, they give you know, they give people hundreds of million dollars to make whatever movie. Dude, they they're want. giving they're giving Nolan you know hundreds of millions of dollars to do these original movies. Yeah, you know, like basically original movies. There's no IP in those and, movies and that's, at all, and, and that's where you have to applaud a studio like Warner Brothers that will make yeah. original content, and not Disney uh, and who I, will just keep remaking uh, shit. Oh. Yeah, I know. Seriously, we could have gone through. We could have done a whole episode about what Disney's doing now with with Fox, and it would have like <laughs> gone off the We're deep end. We're gonna remake Home Alone. Not only that, but just like they're just treating it as a subsidiary versus actual like like a year ago they were a legitimate studio. But anyway, we got to we yeah, gotta, it's, get it's off that train. Yeah, so now. that was my number eight. Yeah. It's Blade Runner twenty forty nine. The original Blade Runner is one of my favorite films of all time. So this was probably gonna be on a list somewhere eventually. Yeah. So, Stephen, what's your number eight, I think? Yes, my number eight. My number eight is uh, one that I, I think is just one of the funniest films I've ever seen. I, I love it, and uh, it's, I'm pretty sure, the debut film of Taika Tawiti. I, I, am I saying that right? 
I think it's Taika Waititi. Waititi. I can never say his last name right. But this it's fun to say. It's fun to say, yes. And everybody kind of knows this guy. He's become he's blown up since doing Thor and whatnot. And uh, but this is his debut film, and it's what we do in the shadows. And they did a TV series, so it's it's getting a little bit more out there. But it's about these vampires that uh, all live in a flat together, and you know it's just about kind of the delving into the tropes of vampires and and. Um, you know, just you know, don't put them on, putting them on their head, and it's 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 just hilarious. Um, it's also got Jermaine Clement is his name from um, Clement Clement yeah. um, from um, Flight of the Concords. He's also a co-writer, um, and yeah, I mean, I I just find this film to be endlessly rewatchable, um, and yeah, I mean, I just the chemistry, the the writing, just the comic timing it's it's just a it's, it's a wonderful comedy yeah it, it's it's like a mockumentary yeah yeah where it's kind of like a camera crew is following around just this group of vampires like living and hanging out in new zealand i think yeah i mean and, i mean yeah i mean uh taika is a news from new zealand yeah um, he's a kiwi i think they call him yeah. i don't even know if you're supposed to call them that but yeah and it's like a mockumentary satire about like vampires and werewolves and all this kind of stuff. The TV show is is set in America and it is it's like and it is absolutely hilarious. I've seen it yeah. and it, it it follows that that comedy right over. It's it's very dry humor. It's not a humor that's necessarily for everyone, but I really really like it a lot. As as you can yeah. see, Stephen also really likes yes. it a lot. I highly recommend watching it if you're into like kind of quirky. You know, non-traditional comedies definitely. Uh, yeah, I'll also works. check out his other film, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. That's a great film, yeah. and of course, you've seen, you know, Thor, Thor Ragnarok, yeah. and he's going to be doing uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. Um, he did it. I, this actually wasn't his theatrical debut. He oh, did okay. have another film before before that. Oh yeah, the shark movie, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like. Uh, like shark and something. I almost said shark and lava. Yeah, that's yeah, like that's the a same thing. Movie, yeah. <laughs> that is not the same. Oh, uh, eagle vs shark. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he had eagle vs. I shark haven't seen that and, actually. And he also did a movie called Boy. Yeah, and then some TV stuff, and then what we do in the shadows is is a kind of his big hit that really yeah, broke yeah, him yeah. out. And of course Thor as well. But uh, is can I transition Let's to do my? It. Number seven, yes. right? Number seven. Yes, we're on seven. I can't count for some it's reason. It's okay. I'm we're going backwards. It's hard to count backwards. It's yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's that late hour that kind of gets you. But my number seven is Carol, and Carol is directed by a um, Todd Haynes, who is really becoming one of my favorite directors of all time. Or at least he's. If I had to make a list of directors, he's in like the top twenty-five, top thirty. He's in he's in that extended list. And Todd Haynes has been around uh, for a while. He's been around since the 90s and the 80s. He's part, he was part of um, um, the new queer cinema movement of the 90s because he's a, he's a gay man, so he's a gay director making films about homosexual characters and homosexual themes and things like that. And this film stars Kate Blanchett as well as Rooney Mara. Uh, Kyle Chandler's in the film as well as Sarah Paulson. And it kind of centers around uh, a romance. It takes place during a time where a a homosexual relationship between uh, two women would be looked down upon, would be something you had to um, 
do in secret, and it and there's a relationship, romantic relationship that develops between uh, Carol, who is portrayed by Kate Blanchett, and Rooney Mara, who is Therese, not Teresa. Therese is her name, <laughs> and they have the kind of this whirlwind romance, and the film is so lush and so gorgeously well shot. The acting is is incredible, and it was one of my favorite films of 2015, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. I absolutely love it, and I've revisited quite a few times. For those of you who don't know, uh, who aren't familiar with Todd Haynes' work, he's the director of um, uh, I'm Not There, that Bob Dylan movie from a few years ago, Velvet Goldmine, as well as Far From Heaven, starring Julianne Moore, uh, and the film Safe, also starring Julianne Moore, which is on the Criterion Collection. So, yeah, that's my number seven is Carol. Yeah. Watch this movie because it's, it's amazing. I, I haven't seen it. Um, it's, it's one that's... Yeah, it, it's one of the ones that Stephen hasn't yeah, seen. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I, I need to get around to it. Um, now, one both of us have definitely seen because we're both big advocates of this film. Um, from 2017, yes. it is Columbus. Um, oh, yes. Yes. Um, this one has stuck with me. I don't know why this – I love this. I, I, I'm not saying it like it's a weird thing, but for some reason I love this movie a lot. Um, it's, it's And it's not an exciting movie. It's a very meditative movie. Um, it really is. And, Contempla- c- contemplate, contemplative. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And it, you know, it's direct – this is actually a fir- – this is a first-time directed uh, f- feature film from – a. Uh, one word, one name, man, uh, Koganaga. Uh, <laughs> Koganaga, that, what a yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? I mean, but he's he, he's done a lot of special feature work for the Criterion Collection. Um, so this is his first feature film. It stars John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson. And yes, uh, basically, this is, like I said, very meditative. Uh, John Cho's character is coming back to this small town of Columbus, um, where his father has been is working and he's an architect and John Cho's kind of never been into the architecture he's never been into what his father's doing he's kind of been kind of you could say defiant to his mm-hmm. family but you know out of respect for his family and I guess you could say his culture uh, Chinese culture he comes or is it Chi- is he Chinese? I think he's I think he's Korean. He's Korean. I'm sorry, Korean. You're I'm right. pretty sure he, he, he is. Yeah. Um, and he comes back to see his father to be with his father, and at the same time, Haley Lou Richardson's character, who is kind of stuck in this town, even though she loves the town, she's kind of staying home because her mother has had issues, and he stays with she stays with her mother to help look after, help pay the bills. You know, so she's got an excuse to stay there. Um, right. Even though she's a very talented person, she wants to be an architect or she wants to work in architecture in some way. Um, she's very fascinated with it, and her and and John Cho's character meet, and they kind of have this bond that they create between each other that is not romantic. It's more um, this 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 friendship where he John Cho's kind of learning about how to you know deal with his father through her her eyes, you know how how she sees. You know, architecture helps her him understand his father more, and it's very—it's just a very interesting film. I, I I just I see that John. It made me see John Cho in a whole new way, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's it man. It was one of my favorite films of 2017. Yeah, is when it came out, way under the radar. Like oh yeah, it was at like some film festivals, and then that was pretty much it. Probably had a small theatrical release, very very small. 
uh, damn, we literally just got the Blu-ray a couple of months yeah. ago. <laughs> we waited. Well, it's for been years it's we've had it for a while now, but it's it it took a it took over a year for two it years. To get a Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not only that, but it it's a movie like Stephen said. It's a, a very beautiful. God, thematic it's so well film directed. With, yeah, it's so well directed. The cinematography is amazing. It's very, um, it, it it's not over the top in any way. It's 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 a friendship film. It's a romantic film. It's about human connection. Yeah, and genuine human connection, which is something you don't really see because most connections you see in movies are kind of forced sometimes, especially between a man and a woman. They always force those things, and this film is just not forced in any way. And yeah, John Chu and Haley Lou Richardson are fantastic. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty much it made me. There are a few actors or actresses where I'm like, man, I really have to see all of their work because I'm just that impressed by them and yeah. Haley Lou Richardson I think was, was is one of them like I have to see all of her stuff now regardless of how bad it is <laughs> <laughs> I mean like I, well, she, uh, she, but, she, yeah she plays a supporting role in uh, Edge of 17 she's pretty she is in that that's good. where I saw her that was also came out that same yeah, yeah. year I believe um, but yeah she is one to one to watch and, 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 because I really hope she get she gets good roles yeah. and challenges herself yeah and John Cho um, has continued down this path I'm loving um, where he's, you know, right after that he did like Searching, which was a yes, very under underrated film um, from this past year, and and he continued. I think he wouldn't he in the Twilight Zone series? He did an he episode, is, I believe. Yeah. Yes, I think he. I think pretty sure. Yeah, he is. And he's going to um, be in the new, um, is it Cowboy Bebop film? Yes, he yeah. is. He's going to be in that film as well. Um, yeah. So John Cho has been around for a oh, long yeah, time. Oh yeah, he was in the Star sure. Trek remake. You know, really, oh no! Yeah. yeah, I was thinking. I'm going back. I'm going back, back. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. Back in yeah. time, uh, Harold and Kumar oh, go to yes. White Castle. I saw that in the theater. What was that? Like 2003, yeah. 2004, somewhere around there. And that's where I first saw John Cho and Cal Penn. And yeah, that, so he's been around for quite a while. But moving on to my number six, I believe. Yes. Is a film that um, I was battling between a film, uh, two films by the same director. And which one did I want to put in my top ten? And I decided to go with this one because, because of of the fra- the, the the group of films that it's in, the trilogy that it's in, and this is and this is Before Midnight, uh, directed by Richard Linklater, and this is a film that came out in two thousand and thirteen. It is the third film in his Before trilogy, having uh, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and now Before Midnight, and these films are set pretty much a decade after one another or nine years or so or th- at least the, the first one was between the first and second one was nine years and then the second one was 10 years so who knows if we'll get one in a couple of years from now yeah i would certainly love it i don't know i, I i'd like before, it i'd like for the end i kind of like it would I, I don't want them to come back to be honest i i think they said all they needed to say about what these films were going for in this trilogy yeah you know it's literally a beginning, middle, and end of of these characters and their journey together, yeah. and it does leave things open to like, where do we go in the future? Life goes on, and all of these things. And for those of you who don't know what the heck I'm talking about, the Before trilogy is one of the most under the radar films you will ever see, uh, by Richard Linklater, who did Dazed and Confused. He did um, School, School, yeah, of Rock. School of Rock. He did. He did. Um, a bunch of other Everybody films. Everybody wants some. Bernie. Everybody wants some. Bernie. 
Um, he even did the remake of Bad News yeah. Bears starring Billy Bob Thornton, which nobody really likes. <laughs> <laughs> but he did me and Orson Welles. Um, yeah, Last Flag, last flag Flying this past Last Flag Flying. Um, I've always loved Richard Linklater. I've always loved his films. One of my I favorites. Own so yeah. many of them. Um, but I was gonna. I don't, I don't want to say what the other film was because Stephen may have it on his list, and I don't want to yeah, spoil sure. it. Yeah. And if he doesn't, we'll just say what it is later on, anyways. But before midnight, you is the reprisal of the characters of Jesse and Celine, who are portrayed by Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi, and they've been this couple that have been uh, together. Not really together, but they've. They met in the first film, they reconnected in the second, and now we see where they are in the third, and we see how their relationship has changed between the second and third film, and man, it's a thematic feast and an acting feast that's unbelievable. It's just, I... I it's I pretty tough to watch pr- at points. It's pretty tough to watch because you've been... You've it gets been really real. These, <laughs> it gets very real. That's the one thing about these these films is they are very genuine and very real when it comes to, once again... Uh, human connection and human interaction, and specifically in this stand, in this instance, a romantic connection as well as a personal connection between two characters. It's, it's, it's just so much to say about these films that I've already said uh, in a video for my YouTube channel, and I'm Stephen and I have talked about it yeah. forever and ever. Just go watch. But yeah, definitely. Just, just go watch these trilogy yeah. of films, and they're not Sunrise long movies. I think the third one is the longest movie, but I think it is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, so yeah, go go see this. So Stephen, Definitely. what is your number six? Six. Yeah, six. Um, this is a movie I saw endless, so many times. And I saw this one of the. This is probably the one I saw the most in theaters out of all these movies, and th- because it was at the one fifty theater near me, and I could go in there and watch <laughs> it a bunch of times. But this one just really connected, like Mirror on the Dying Girl for you. I think this one connected with me on a very personal level, and it's Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, oh, what a film. From 2012. Um, and this is the one I was like, God, 2012? God, it's already been out for seven years. God, this time just flies, man. I, I, yeah, where where's this cast now? Yeah. That's but, what we got to but, but you got, you know, Logan Lerman, who is, you know, yeah. plays this very subdued uh, kid who has had some troubles in his past. And he's just entering high school and he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't, you know... And you have Emma Watson who plays this kind of outs, you know, they're they're the hipster kids, as you would say, probably most yeah. people would say. Uh, and also uh, Ezra Miller who plays uh, her uh, homosexual best friend. And you know, it's really just kind of a you could say hangout movie. You know, basically, I mean, things happen there. You know, but there's not necessarily a plot, but there's some. It's there's background character to Logan Lerman's character that you kind of get revealed throughout the movie. And it's just a really great movie about the, the underdogs or the, you know, the outsiders that, um, you know, get, you know, either bullied or, you know, it, it really, it really hit home with me because as a kid, I was bullied sometimes and I had right. to stand up for myself and, you know, and there, there's some very just intense moments in this movie that like, just get really real for me, and uh, I just I, I go yeah. back. I go back. I have this poster um, somewhere. It's it's rolled up somewhere, but I you know it's I don't know. It's just a movie that I can I I can also go back and watch a bunch of times f- to watch in a way that isn't necessarily gratifying, but it it makes me feel something every time I watch it. Yeah, Perks of Being a Wallflower is yeah another film that's just. 
very emotionally deep. Um, yeah, it's really... I've been saying this for years. Young actors can make or break a film. You know, teenage actors or people playing teenage characters. But yeah, the, the amazing cast with Logan Lerman, Emma Watson, Ezra Miller, like um, like um, Stephen said. But yeah, it's it's about these kids who are just misfits. Yeah. You know, there's one line that she says, you know, welcome to the land of misfit toys. And they're just kind of, they're outsiders. They, they don't belong anywhere. They're not popular. They're not anything. And it, there's a sense of community with them and then Logan Lerman tries to get into that community and he's very like Steven said reserved and he's got anxiety problems he's got you know he's got an in he's got inner turmoil and slowly it's revealed why he is the way he is and what kind of mental facets are impacting him it's really deep film it's based on a book as well and Steven, the movie was actually yeah it's Steven Sh- written and directed yeah, by the guy who wrote the book yep yep Steven Shabatsky Chabosky. Yeah, um, I think that's how you say his name. Yeah, he wrote yeah. and directed the movie, and also, of course, is the author of the book. And he he went on to direct the movie Wonder, which is, I think, also a book of his, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you are correct, but he is also what else did he direct? He did also, yeah, Wonder, which was talk about a tearjerker yeah. there. Um, yeah, he also, I think he didn't he write the screenplay for Beauty and the Beast, was also starring Emma Watson. I think uh, he did, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, looking at that right now. I'm looking at that right now. But yeah, um that yeah, it's a great film. Really really emotional. I I I saw it a lot and I kept like I kept showing it to my friends too. I'm like, you got to see this movie. Yeah. It's it's you you'll understand why. Yeah. You'll understand why. Uh but moving on to my number 5 and come the complete opposite of kind of the indie world that we've been talking about is a big time political drama. <laughs> <laughs> drama. It is a film that came out in 2012, going back back to that 2012 golden year, directed by Catherine Bigelow, and that is Zero Dark Thirty. Mm. And this is the film that is chronicling the hunt, decade-long hunt for Osama bin Laden. It really centers around um, a character of you know, that is portrayed by uh, Jessica Chastain, Chastain uh, character of Maya, who is based on a real-life person. And yeah, it just it pretty much chronicles that. And man, talk about well directed movie. Um, it's it's a movie that I literally just told you that plot line. You're like, oh, that's kind of boring. That's you know, it's political and all that kind of stuff. No, it's it's very thrilling. No, it I, is. I think it's very, very interesting, very introspective. The screenplay's really fantastic. Uh, Jessica Chastain is amazing in the movie. Uh, the screenplay is written by Mark Bowl, who's a really good screenwriter. Catherine Bigelow directs the heck out of this movie. Uh, she also did um, a movie that won Best Picture. Hurt Stephen, Locker. Help me. The Hurt Locker as well. Another film that deals with like politics or set, at least set in the Middle East and things like that. And man, there's a sequence at the end of this movie where it's the actual, you know, going into Osama bin Laden's compound. It's done in like infrared and like. Uh, all that kind of like you know military tactics and all that kind of stuff and man it's it's tenseful you know what's gonna oh, yeah. happen it's, it's it was in the news <laughs> you know what's gonna happen but it's just really well put together there's a lot of a- other actors in the movie <laughs> chris pratt that pop in and out yeah chris pratt <laughs> is one of the the navy uh seals that go in to get osama bin laden at the end kyle chandler's in the film um jason clark yeah. is in the film um yeah uh, 
I want to say, what's his name has a great scene. Mark Strong has one has pretty much my favorite scene in the movie, where he just comes into like a meeting and just like rips <laughs> rips this crew. It's like you guys are just not getting it done. It's a it's a great scene. Watch it on YouTube. But yeah, I really love this movie. And man, I thought this movie was gonna kick ass at the Oscars. I thought this movie was gonna. I, I thought just I thought it break them in. Yeah, I thought if and, anything, Jessica Chastain was gonna win, and she didn't. And all it ended up winning was like sharing an Oscar, which you never hear this this nonsense. It shared it for what was it like best sound editing? Yeah, it was a <laughs> best achievement in sound editing. It, it shared it with um, Skyfall. And it, the reason why I think this movie kind of got shut out at the time is because it was it's a very political movie. Yeah. And it's touching on a very lot of political hot discussion points like like you know how, how you deal deal torture with torturing yeah. torturing terrorists and all that kind of stuff. And this was before a lot of the modern day stuff that we know now. Where a lot of what the film was going into was actually true, where at the time they denied. That's a whole political story sure. for a different time. But it does take away from the fact that this movie is incredibly well made. Yeah. Regardless of politically how you feel. And yeah, I've always really liked this movie a lot. I really like Catherine Bigelow. And I really wish she would do more. She movies takes more a long time between movies. She takes a long time. I'm pretty sure like her next film after this was Detroit, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. From like a Two, three she might have done. Didn't she do some documentaries too? She might have done a documentary between there somewhere. She probably maybe did. Um, if she's in, if yeah, she, she did. Yeah. No, no, she did the Hurt Locker, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, uh, Last Days was a short, and then she did the Protectors, which was a documentary okay. short, and then she did Detroit in twenty seventeen, and there then she go. did another short last year. But yeah, so that's Zero Dark Thirty. Um, Stephen, what is your next on your list? Number five for me. Ooh, here we oh, go. All I gotta do is do this. Uh oh. Is is that Hans Zimmer out Yes, here? it's this it's it's the it's the score that started the bah movement. And that is Inception. Um yeah, I I, I wanted to cho- I had to choose we had to I had to put a Christopher Nolan movie on this list because yeah. Christopher Nolan in this last decade has gave us given us a lot of great films and um I, I think this one to me is maybe his most ambitious you can argue maybe another one might be, but right. I, I think that the you know the overall idea for this thing is just just so crazy and and, and sure yeah. it has its influences. I know what what are the movies? Are you going to say what the movie is, or we're we just going to guess? I said Inception. We all know it. Oh, did you say Inception? Yeah, I said Inception. Oh. Yeah. oh, never mind. I'm not paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just too busy getting incepted. No, yeah, you. I've just incepted <laughs> that. I didn't say the inc- the title to this in your head, and you believe that I didn't, but I did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean. There, there's some really direct influences to this. I mean, it, that people even say it ripped off. Um, I'm trying to think of what they are. They're anime. It's an anime or something that they say ripped this. That ri- that this ripped off. But, um, but I, Christopher Nolan's such an innovator filmmaker. Um, he did a lot of this practical. You know, like the scene in the hallway is a practical. You know, wire effect in a hallway that's being on a hydraulic, and it's just crazy shit. I mean. You know, this stars Leonardo DiCaprio, J- Joseph Gordon-Lovett, uh, Ellen Page, uh, Ken Watanabe. You know, it, it, Tom Hardy is a huge yeah, cast. Yeah, young Tom Hardy. Yeah, huge yeah. cast. I mean, and you know, this is a movie about you know somebody going into somebody's mind and planting an idea to make them believe something. It, it's it's so crazy, and the visuals and 
this movie is kind of just a one of a kind movie. I mean, there's no real other movie that sits with it. I mean, you could say something like The Matrix, maybe. Um, it, I've always thought it being like kind of an, an inverted version of The Matrix. Yeah. Whereas in the in The Matrix, you go from a fake world to the real world, whereas in the Inception, yeah. you go from the real world to a fake dream world. Yeah. But the thing and, is, is yeah, if yeah, it's in your mind, yeah. does that make any difference? You know, it's, well, yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's, that's, the, that's, I, that's, that's the one question. of the many questions in this movie. Uh, this film is thematically deep. I actually rewatched it recently for my my birthday back in June. It made it one of my birthday marathon movies. It still holds up. The movie came out in two thousand and ten, and this was one of those movies where this, like we talked about Nolan earlier, while how he has pretty much carte blanche at. Warner Brothers, he can do whatever he wants. It's pretty much because of the the success of, in, of Inception, uh, where it's not a an, an intellectual property. It's not part of a franchise. It's not Batman, which he was working on at the same time. This was before uh, Dark Knight Rises came out. And this movie made lots and lots of money. And it's probably his most recognized work other than Batman. Yeah, That's what I'll say. Uh, and not that he didn't do amazing work other than this and Batman, but this is, I think, is the one he's he's people go back to over and over again. Yeah. Steven just went back to it. Man, what a it, it's a fantastic movie. Leo's I written re- it. Um, I remember the first time seeing it. I was I I didn't even know what I saw. I was like, what? The I, f- I I think I saw it in theaters, and I was oh like, I did. I was like, what the fuck? It was mind blowing. God, what is mind this blowing. shit? I was like, I gotta yeah, watch my, this again right now. <laughs> my brother, who is not a big movie guy person. Uh, he watches movies, but he's no he's not to the same level as us. He's seen this movie like over a dozen times yeah. because it's so you know, it, it get it gets in you. And this is this is when I really discovered Hans Zimmer for the first time. Mm-hmm. And his music he granted he had been around for like you know, a couple decades. Twenty years doing, beforehand. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't know that. Uh but who this is also when I discovered um uh, Marion Cotillard, I think, for the first time. Yeah. And then Killian Murphy was in the film as well. Granted, he had already been in Batman Begins and other things, but you started seeing, you know, he has his, re- and of course, he has his regular Nolan players, movie. Michael Caine's and yeah. everything, basically. Michael Caine, yes, he is. He's also in this movie as well in a small role. Yeah. And I, it's just amazing how Nolan was able to sandwich this film in between Dark Knight and Dark yeah, Knight Rises. Geez. Like, this man must have like never slept for like. Well, he years. he had worked on the script <laughs> for, for years. He's, he worked on the script for like ten years apparently, um, so he was oh, I believe a it. lot of prep, um, and you know this was a passion project for him. So I mean he he got it done, man. He usually he, he usually really is pretty on the mark. Every three years he has a new movie, and so we're we're very much very much anticipating his next movie, which is supposed to come yeah. out next summer. Um, it is Tenant. So, but let me get. Uh, back to my list, yes. back to my number, number four. four. And this is a film called Her. Simple title, Wait. complex movie. Her? She? Her? She? Who? <laughs> uh, directed by Spike Jones, came out in 2013, and it stars Joaquin Phoenix and the disembodied voice of one Scarlett Johansson. Um, and Chris Pratt's also in the movie. And I think Rooney Mara's in there for like a like a flashback dream sequence. She doesn't have any lines, but she's in there somewhere. And this is a movie set in the very near future where you basically um you 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 kind of befriend an operating system. And this operating system is designed to uh, basically meet your every need. 
So it's very close to what we're getting to now. Think of a, a very advanced, you know, a form of Siri or Alexa, someone who is essentially autonomous that is more, instead of like question-based, like you ask, you know, what the weather is or anything like that, this one is more interactive. Yeah. It's very, very advanced. It reacts computer, to your emotions. Technology. Yeah, it reacts to your emotions and you basically... Like you're talking to a person, yeah. and the voice of this specific one, who is you know the operating system for uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character. His, his name is Theodore Twombly, I think was his name in the movie. Um, I remember having him having a kind of a weirder last name. It's voiced by Scarlett Johansson, and it's just and it's just to him getting into his character. He's you can tell he's a very lonely person in a very you know. In, in um introverted person um coincidentally i think also amy adams is in this movie yeah and she plays like his next door neighbor who also has like an operating system who she befriends as well and you don't really see that but you get kind of how this is like a a universe wide thing where it's it's not only individual but it's very very diverse it's a really in-depth film going into so many different things yet again dealing with relationships yeah. and interactions and this is not necessarily human interactions because it's not another human but it's a human like person you know how human is that person and and things like that it really begs that question you know where are we going when it comes to technology and human interaction people always say oh everyone's always communicating through text messaging or tweets or direct messages or things like that nobody talks to another person in real life anymore. No one makes a phone call or anything like that. And it's like, how far are we going to take that in the future to the point where we're talking to robots, yeah. essentially, or we're talking to a disembodied voice that we think is real, but it's not, in fact, real? And it asks so many questions, and it's a really also sweet story about someone looking for love and connection and things like that. It's it's a fantastic film. I think it's my favorite Spike Jones film. He's another director who doesn't do a lot of films very often. Yeah. Um yeah, it, it's, it's it's I love this It's movie. one I need to revisit. I, I wasn't a huge fan of it when I saw it. I've only maybe seen it the one time. Um I mean, I love Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's always good, but Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, I, I just I need to see this one again with new eyes. Um and I'll have to get back to you. Yeah. But um, moving on to my number four. My number four, we're getting back to Link later here, and uh -oh. um, this is it the one that I didn't the one that you didn't that? mention. Can you guys guess it, guys? Um, I don't know. But as you can see, I I love movies that bring me back to my my childhood. My, you know the nostalgia of that. Um, and this movie is Boyhood. Um, this was a Best Picture contender the year it came out. You know, people thought it might win. But it lost to the movie that's next on my list. Damn, I'm giving shit away. Um, <laughs> but um, I almost said I almost said what it lost to, but it's yeah, a good thing I did. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this is Linklater's uh, movie that was what nine years in the making, or no, yeah. twelve years in the making. Yeah, he, he filmed this uh, you know, a little bit every year for twelve years, and he follows you know because Linklater his films a lot of times deal with time um, and how you know and how we you know, grow through time and how, you know, and in this film, he literally takes it to the max where he literally uses the same actors and films a little bit each year for 12 years and then makes this movie. And it's, you know, it, it, it has this non-actor uh, played by 
L.R. Coltrane. Coltrane. Um, yeah. And then you have Patricia Arquette, Ethan Hawke, uh, are kind of your two, or the, the parents in the film. And you're following this child who is just about him growing up. It's another coming of age story, you know, and how he deals with, you know, his mother, you know, leaving his father and. And it's just you know he, dealing with his sister, just normal things. It's not a it's not a movie with a plot. It's it's a movie that's thematically heavy. It's it's a movie that's a character movie, and it just I, I get lost in it. It's a long movie. It's almost it, it is I think three hours long. Um, it, I just get lost in it. I love it. Um, it and it uh, he the kids also growing up in a time that I kind of grew up in. So things happen in the movie, and I'm like, oh, that I remember Pokemon. I remember, you know, like <laughs> you know, things are familiar to me. And but you know, just just some of the relationships and some of the things that happen are just once again very real. I like films that really bring the real, you know. And Linklater does that better than anybody, I think. Uh, yeah, it it's an astonishing work, an ambitious work because films are not made like that typically, dude. I mean, they they've done films like that before. Like he wasn't the first one to do it. No, but damn, it's it's still bravo impressive to as the all editing. Out. You know, like like oh yeah, over twelve years of f- footage and bravo. editing that together to make a great. Not film. only that, but bra- bravo to Linklater to get somebody somewhere to fund this idea. Oh yeah, or to get continuous funding for you know a dozen years worth of you know. You know, and he didn't film like like they weren't big product. Like he'd film for like two weeks a year, yeah. like for like twelve years. And what you see is you see the, the characters' age, you see the characters' age, but you see yeah. the actors and actresses' age. Like you see Ethan Hawke uh, age, you see Patricia Arquette age, you see um, all of the people age in this movie, and it's really really fascinating. It's you know, um, Lorelai Linklater who pl- who's in the film I think plays the sister. Yeah, plays the sister. Is yeah. Richard Linklater's daughter, and you see her age. Yeah. So it's like when he's going into editing, it's like him watching his daughter age on screen. It's, it's, it's over amazing. time. It must be extremely personal for him. And what's mind-boggling is when we're talking about this movie is that I remember because I was obsessed with Before Midnight, and I would just watch every interview and watch every you know, talk he would do at every film festival. And I remember him talking about Boyhood. About him being like, yeah, oh, there's this movie I was been working on where I, you know, I filmed every year for 12 years. I got to get, you know, get the funding to finish it and and get a distrib- uh, distributor and all that kind of stuff. So I remember when he was talking about this movie, and then it came out the following year after Before Midnight. And yeah, I believe Patricia Arquette won an Oscar for this. Yes. This was a film like was heavily critically acclaimed and was pretty much in line to win Best Picture. And I was pulling for it hard. I'm I really was biased. too. I was too. super biased when it comes. But to I'm not. Winkler, but I'm not. So I'm not mad it. at the movie that uh, beat it because I really liked it. Some movie. people are. Some people. I know the movie you're going to mention next, and I know a lot of people do not like it. <laughs> that 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 do not like it, and I think it's a bit overrated. But moving on to my list, my number three is a film that is, um, yet again, perhaps a surprise to some, perhaps not a surprise to others. And this is a film called Ex Machina. Ex Machina is the film directed by Alex Garland that stars uh, Donald Gleason, once again, Alicia Alicia Vikander, and Oscar Isaac. And very similar similar to her, you're dealing with a dystopian uh, time that has, like, advanced technology when it comes to AI artificial intelligence and basically um donald gleason is working for this company and he basically goes to uh the the main 
person's house, like the main guy's house portrayed by Oscar Isaac. And he's going there to uh, participate in like a, a groundbreaking experiment, um, I believe called the Turing test to really test out this uh, this artificial intelligence that is portrayed by Alicia Vikander, this, I guess, robot for the lack of a better term or whatever. And the whole idea is to make her as make her so real that you don't even notice that she's not real and it it's that i it's that idea and man this film is dark and disturbing at times amazingly well acted and it really all takes place in one house like in a remote area so it feels like a haunted house movie yeah and there's things you don't see coming and there's just man oscar isaac is is incredible in this movie he's weird quirky perhaps evil and evil genius if you will like almost like a doctor Mo- it's like the island of dr moreau yeah. but with ai as opposed yeah, to it, like creatures yeah and the end I mean? of this movie is is everybody's nightmare yeah it really <laughs> is but yet again it's that idea like as technology goes forward how closer and closer are we getting to making artificial life what, be it's, real it's life? Like it's, you know the question I mean? is, it's like, what is the line? What is the line? Yeah. Where should we stop? And, sh- <laughs> and should we do that? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Is there a moral, you know, is th- what's the morality of it? Well, yeah, you know, we're a, getting closer and there's closer. A, there's a scene in where they're like sitting down and talking outside, you know, outside. And he's talking about like God and like him wanting to basically be God. <laughs> yeah. You know, like basically he's got like this super God complex, you know, e- God complex, this egotistical God complex, which, which is crazy because a lot of, you know, the greatest geniuses of all time have those yeah. God complexes, you know, like Steve jobs who, you know, created Apple and all that kind of stuff. Like he was an egotistical dude as well. You know what I mean? Like the great musicians and great painters and artists and filmmakers and all this kind of stuff. They're all, they all have this ego, but they create such amazing things. But how far do they push it to get to create? These yeah. With, the, with this you know person I mean? here, he's, he's testing waters that have never been tested in their, right. their very dangerous waters, <laughs> very dangerous waters. Watch this movie. I know, people who saw this movie were very disturbed by it. Yeah, it's like it's disturbing. Shakingly disturbed by it. But I really love it. And Alex yeah. Garland I think is a really good really He went good on to be very movie. a little bit even more maybe even more disturbing in his follow up Annihilation. Annihilation is very ambitious. Yeah. Very ambitious. I love that movie. But you you if you don't know me by now, I love weird the weirder the better, the more cerebral sci fi is yeah. the cerebral sci fi just mess my brain up as much yes. as you can. Mash it Come up. Come on, push push it push it to the limit. Take it to the <laughs> limit one more time. Okay, my number three. The, yeah, number three. My number three is uh I, I'm not gonna I ain't gonna skirt around it. It's Birdman. Yeah. Um this stars Michael Keaton, Emma Stone, you know, Edward Norton. Zach Galifianakis is in there. I mean, it's, it, you know, Naomi Watts. Uh, t- t- another huge catch. This is directed by Alejandro Gonzalez and Uritu. Um, he ended up winning Best Director, and this film won Best Picture over Boyhood, which is what we were talking about earlier. Um, I love this movie. I saw this movie so many times in theaters. Um, <laughs> I, I I took my family to see this movie. I was like, you're going to love this movie. It's awesome. Um, cause, you know, because it's... it's I love movies that go behind the curtain of things, and this movie really gives you behind the curtain of this stage play that's going on. And you have this actor who's trying to, you know, rejuvenate his career, played by Michael Keaton. He's a guy that was like a big superstar with <clears throat> the uh, 
comic book character, I guess he played in in his world called Birdman, and um, you'll get the connections. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Batman, Birdman, <laughs> Birdman. What's what's a bird? so it's very meta to Michael Keaton's actual career, and uh, so it's is about an actor who's trying to rejuvenate his career by kind of becoming more artistic, you could say, instead of. Del- delving into the mainstream and being, you know, successful in, in the mainstream, he's trying to be more artistic and, and do a play. He he writes the play. He's directing the play. He's starring in the play, um, and he he you know this is movie travels around the backstage in the the process of this whole thing and kind of does what you know a lot of you know him and you know Afonso Cuarón are known for, which is this almost one take approach where it's like one camera shot that follows around for the whole movie almost. Um, and it's, it's, I love this. It's, this movie is so well shot um, and acted. The acting in this film is amazing. I mean, Edward Norton uh, is amazing in this movie, uh, but Michael Keaton got robbed. Michael Keaton should have won best actor. I think he lost to uh, Eddie, Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne for playing Stephen Hawking, whatever. Yes, he did. Whatever. God damn, it's fucking annoying. It, <laughs> yeah, I saw this in the theater as well. Um, man, and it was a, a, a very interesting experience. I had I don't think I had ever seen an Inaritu film at that No, point. no, this is my first one so. too. Yeah. And this is one that started me watching like his back catalog and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, it I think it's a really good movie. I think it's I know a lot of people out there don't like it, think it's overrated. Um, I personally really like it. Do I think it should have won over Boyhood? I think that's a different question. Um, I, the thing, you can't is, the thing take is, take away the technique. It's they're so different. They're so, different. so it, different. I mean, like I, I could, I could have taken either one, but I was, I was pointing for Boyhood. Um, but I, but I love this movie too. I mean, I, it's tough. It's these are almost both at the same number because I love both of these movies so much. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just. I mean, when a movie starts off with Michael Keaton floating in the air, and then he says, "This place smells like balls." I mean, you know it's going to be a great ride. It was. It was a return. F- um, yeah, yeah. For Michael Keaton, who had been not he, he had he's been doing work, but not like amazing work throughout his career. It was also another return for Edward Norton, who started out very hot and then kind of got cold. You know, like it, people's careers go up and down over time. That's just kind of the way things go sometimes um and but then after this michael keaton started spotlight and then of course he was in spider-man yeah spider-man and his career kind of got a resurgence because of this uh which i really like because i've always liked michael keaton ever since i saw him as batman when i was a kid um but yeah let's move on if it's okay i'll move on to my number two getting down to the nitty gritty do it yet again another perhaps controversial pick but yet again it is my pick it's my christopher nolan pick for my top 10 I was debating a Stevens pick of Inception, um, but I have to go with the film that I, I have a more, I don't know. There's something about it, and I can't even explain why I love this movie so much and why I watch it over and over again, and why I find myself defending it. I guess, and that is Interstellar that came out in 2014. Nice. Um, this is the film that stars uh, Matthew McConaughey. This was kind of uh, right around his McConaughey. Yeah, right. This yeah. Was oh, yeah. This after, is in the middle. Of, this is in the middle Oscar. of it. Yeah. Yeah. After he had won his Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club, this was the film that came out, I believe, the following year. It stars Matthew McConaughey as well as uh, Shocker here. Uh, Michael Caine. Uh, is Michael? Yeah, Michael, Michael Caine. He, he has film. a part in it. Yeah. 
He has a part in it as well. Um, Casey Affleck's in the film. Anne Hathaway's in the film. Jessica Chastain is in the film. Um, man, I've been a sucker for things that have to do with space travel and just sci-fi and science fiction. Oh, they're one and the same. But just, I don't know. When it comes to films like this, I have a fascination towards them. And what Nolan, I think, did with this film, combining uh, philosophy and science and fiction and all of those things really made me have an experience with a movie I've never quite really had before. I've never had such an, a reaction to this movie like I did. This movie is impeccably well made. Nolan, yeah. amazing. Um uh, the, it was written uh, by Jonathan Nolan, his brother, as well as Christopher Nolan. The cinematography in this movie, I've never, I've never cried while watching a movie <laughs> just because of its cinematography, and I cried while watching this movie because of its cinematography. And I've never had that physical reaction before or emotional reaction based off of just visually what I was seeing yeah. like I felt like I was having a religious experience while watching this movie in the theater and I saw it twice I saw it once in 35mm and the second time in digital regular digital projection and man I, I it's a film that's dealing with time and dealing with um, connect yet again human connection over time over space you know this idea that love is unquantifiable and that love connects us all in a certain way yeah. d d despite distance, yeah. despite time. And it's a film that basically, once again, takes place in a dystopian future where the Earth is dying and we need to find a different place to live. So what's left of NASA might, is being headed by Michael Caine and he enlists um, Matthew McConaughey's character who is like a, 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 he was like a pilot for the yeah. Air Force pilot to fly this ship in a small crew to go through this wormhole and find potential new home. There's three potential new homes and one of them's got to be the one. So they got to figure it out. And when you get to these worlds, they're all different. They're all distinct. And the visuals are amazing in this movie. Like, I don't even know how Nolan did it. <laughs> I could watch, I could watch like the behind the scenes making of, and I'm like, no, I don't even think that's how you did it. That's, I don't know how you did it. Um, yeah, I, man, I, I love this I movie. agree with you, man. I, and it's a movie I think I've grown more, I, I've loved more the more I've watched it. Um, there's only one scene that bothers me, and it, it is the scene where they do talk about l love. Um, it's a little bit, I think it's a little scripted, a little bit... Sentimental? Sen no, no, no. I like sentimental. It's just the way it's approached. I think the dialogue is a little bit rough. Um, okay. cause I, I think, I think Nolan sometimes has problems with emotion in his movies. His movies can tend to be a little cold. So I think, okay. I think when he talks about things that are supposed to be emotional, sometimes it comes off as cold. And I, I, I felt that a little bit in that one particular scene, but I think that the, that the themes overall I connect with, and I think that they, it still works. Um, I just think that that one particular scene bothered me a little bit, but I, yeah, I'm with you, man. In in the score, the score of this film. Oh, Hans Zimmer. Oof. Oh, talk about emotional. Yeah. Oh, I, I I've listened to it over and over again, and once again, it's it's one of his best scores. I mean, it, yeah, I've listened definitely. to it. Like I would love just to see him in concert, just to hear. Yeah, I hear that about score. I hear about people on the West Coast talk about seeing him in concert, and I'm I get pissed off every time I hear about it. <laughs> I'm like, what's crazy is he. I had an opportunity to see him last year because uh -huh. he came like the closest he came to me was like an hour away and Come i on, just man. didn't go i just didn't what go the fuck 
<laughs> I know. I should have gone because it probably would have been. Well, you amazing. probably thought about the fact there's going to be crowds, and you're like, nah. Well, that too. Yeah, travel and crowds yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But uh, what is your number two, Stephen? All right, number two. We're going way back into the two to 2010 oh, again. We we're going back to the beginning of the decade. This is one that I think uh, kind of d- d- defines this time we're in right now. I mean, oh. and uh, you know, I think it still holds up and oh. and and it's. To me, it's another one that did not win Best Picture that I think definitely should have won Best Picture the year it came out, and that is The Social Network, um, directed by David Fincher, uh, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Army Hammer, um, Andrew Garfield, uh, Justin Timberlake, Rooney Mara, a great cast. Uh, this was also written by Aaron Sorkin, and if you know anything about Aaron Sorkin, usually very great dialogue-driven scripts, um, You know, something like A Few Good Men. Um, he did Molly's Game. He also directed that. You know, he very good screenwriter. And this film is about the guys that created Facebook. And Facebook is something that we use still today. Uh, it's been getting some, you know, hit back at it lately. But it, you know, it's a you know movie that's I you know basically the Orson Welles of today. You know, you know, mm. in the way the story is about somebody that gains power, and you know the gaining of power and how he uses that power through his personal, you know, is influenced by his personal life is kind of what the movie's about, you know, seeing what, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's character, how he uses his power based off of the relationships in his life. You know, he, um, Oh yeah. yeah I mean, he, he, you know, is dating this girl and the girl breaks up with him and then he gets upset and then he, out of spite does things and you know it's 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 just a very it's a very unnerving movie to, in parts uh the score by trevor uh resner is amazing um it's just it's such an in a quietly intense film um and the act it really is and the, yeah. and the acting is superb i mean andrew garfield was snubbed that year too um, I think for acting in that it was kind of his breakout movie, um, and yeah, it's just one of them stories. But you know, and, and who knows how truthful it is? Um, I think I think that the true the, the real life people deny some of the things that happened in the movie. But um, I you know Fincher's a perfectionist. Um, the movie's so impeccably directed. Um, yeah, it's it's just one of the movies that you get locked into. It's uh, yeah. yeah it, it, I remember when it came out, I don't think I saw it in theater at the time, but when I bought it on DVD or Blu-ray, yeah, somewhere around there, probably Blu-ray, I watched it like five times yeah. like in like two weeks because yeah. <laughs> like, people kept wanting to watch it. So I was like, oh, and this was it. in the I'll middle. This was it. in the middle of Facebook craze. Yeah, this was like this movie came out 2010. Facebook had only been around for a couple maybe of years five to up six to that years, point. Maybe yeah, Facebook is relatively new concept. You know, it came around around the same time as MySpace and whatnot, and of course, you know, obviously took over the whole you know social media market for through today basically yeah. for the most part. But yeah, this was a film that really put Jesse Eisenberg on the map, and as well as Andrew Garfield. Um, yeah, Jesse Eisenberg has kind of played the same character <laughs> over and over it's again. It's defined his whole career, since. yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It's just like this really, like... Neurotic, witty, very... Neurotic, like, talking very fast, you know, very sly, you know, snarky character, um, like, manic and whatnot. 
And yeah, it's a really good film. Fincher directed the heck out of this movie, and you see that like the origins of Facebook aren't—they're not clean. They're they're very dirty. Yeah. And and basically, you, one could say Mark Zuckerberg stole the idea from someone and then just made it his own. Pretty yeah, much. yeah. I mean, Army Hammer's in the movie as the Winklevoss twins. Yeah. Where it's just there's two of them, but it's Army Hammer's just one person. Yeah. But you, it was it was an early form of like the the CGI technology that we see now when it comes to like recreating digital you know, digital face replacement yeah digital face replacement and that type of CGI and that type of special effects very good it, very it, seamless it, it was very good yeah. it was very good back then um and it takes place around the early 2000s like i think like 2003 when Zuckerberg was at Harvard yeah think, yeah i was going to say in your neck of the there. woods yeah yeah it's like yeah, like an hour north of me and yeah it's a really good movie and when you met Orson Welles, did you mean like his character Charles? Yeah, Bruce just Kane yeah, just in, just like the the, pa- the the fact that, that it's about somebody that gains oh. a certain amount of wealth, and then how he uses that you know how he uses that power and that wealth against his friends and like portrays people in. Oh yeah, if we're talking like Orson Welles and as Charles, yeah, as as as, Kane, as, as the character Kane. in or in Citizen yeah. Kane, yeah. Oh yeah, where he's just like drunk with power, yeah. to the point where he alienates everyone, yeah. From him, including the people. Who I mean, I'm pretty sure. I'm, him. I'm pretty sure I've read articles where Orson Well, uh, where um, uh, uh, Aaron Sorkin has said that he kind of cited Citizen Kane. Based it on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. based it on him. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of a lot of sense. Whereas in in Citizen Kane, it was about like the newspaper company, the newspaper industry versus yeah, you know, technology and social media craze that propped up in the 2000s. But yes, uh, that that score by um, what, uh, Trent Reznor, yeah, Trent Atticus Reznor, yeah. Ross, yeah, the guy from not, not Attic- Nails, man. <laughs> yeah, they, but everyone always forgets Atticus Ross. I think is the, the guy who did it with him because uh-huh. they went on to do um, Girl uh, with the Dragon Tattoo, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Fincher's next film, which wasn't as successful no. as 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 that one. The, but the other the other film that kind of yeah. cites Citizen Kane is uh There Will Be Blood, you know, is kind of similar Ooh, too. Yeah. It's another Ego Egomaniac. Egomaniacs they get much. drunk with power and then alienate everybody. Yep. Pretty much. But all right, uh, man. But let me get let's talk about maniacs. Um I'm gonna transition to my number one. Ooh, number one guys. And here we go. Number one, drum roll. This is a film that I am still in awe of today, and this is a film that once again came out in the year 2015, which seems to be a running theme throughout my list, and that is Mad Max Fury Road, uh, directed by the George Miller, who was the original director the of the Mad that Max movies. The guy did movie. Surf's Up. He did Surf's Up. He did Happy Feet. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He, no, did, he, did, he did Happy Feet. He didn't do Surf's Up. No, he did. He also did, I think, the sequel to Babe. He didn't do the, the original one. Yeah, he did the second Babe. Babe, yeah. He did Babe, uh, Pig in the City, I believe. Um, <laughs> George Miller directed this film when he was 70 years young, seemingly. Because this film has the energy of somebody who is down, like, gallons of energy drinks that's in, like, his (laughs) mid-20s. Because this movie is, like, injecting adrenaline... Yes. uh, 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 ...multiple times directly into your heart. Yes. And nonstop. Um, And, man, I... The production of this movie... Is still mind-boggling to me that somebody one gave him money to do this. He was able to do this film despite what I heard was a lot of 
uh, production, you know, issues and going over budget. And he's still in a lawsuit, I think, with Warner Brothers <laughs> uh, because he went over budget. And <laughs> and he's still dealing with that to the point where it's holding up them making a sequel. Yeah. And I'm like, God damn it, just settle well, no, this already. There's so something to do with the, that, that, he, that he thinks Warner Brothers owes him more money. Yeah, yeah, because like if it, I think the whole idea was if he came in at a certain budget or something like that, he would get he would get some kind of bonus of or something. Yeah, yeah, get some kind of bonus. But he he went over budget, and you can see why this movie is insane. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's blending practical and and CGI. You've got like explosions. You've got uh, the music by Junkie XL drives this film forward. And the film is also not just an adrenaline-fueled, uh, action-packed feast. It also has amazing themes in this movie of, like, redemption and glory and set in this dystopian world of just complete and utter lawlessness that is, like, where as a society did this whole collapse happen and yeah. why are we left in such a state? And it's kind of a sequel, kind of a soft reboot of the Mad Max films that starred um, Mel Gibson that really got his career going with Mad Max, Road Warrior, and then Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which not a lot of people like. But, man, this film stars Tom Hardy, Charlie's, uh, Charlie's Theron, um, uh, man, Nicholas Holt is in this movie, and Zoe Kravitz, um, just a bunch of people, and... I can't express how much I love this movie enough. <laughs> well, you know, without my mind exploding. Yeah, I mean, I love um, this movie too, man. It's it's a fun movie crazy, to watch. Crazy, um, it it's one of them things. It's it's one of the movies that I think it sticks in people's minds because it creates a world that is very distinct. Um, yeah, and you know, there's a lot of dystopian movies, especially nowadays. But for some reason, this one sticks out because George Miller has a certain vision that nobody else has. Um, right, and and he's able to make this vision come to life very vividly. Yeah. And the way he's able to give it to us is in a way that we don't see in movie in in movies today in very many yeah. respects. You know, it's like we say like I, I feel like once again it, it was Warner Brothers that he worked with that basically gave him like 150 200 million or whatever and sent him off into the yeah. desert and is like, "Here, make your movie." And it's like, "Damn, this is what we this is what That's we That's what I'm saying. Warner Brothers take some chances. They take some and, and it's it's just in, it's awe inspiring of the things I'm seeing because I don't see this at all. Yeah. It, it it pushes the medium forward in a way that you don't see. It's not safe at all in any no. in any way. It's a movie that is not reliant on a really rich rich plot. First, second, third acts. You know, you know, uh, uh, certain things like this. It's it's a road movie, literally. It's yeah. a car. It's a two hour car chase. It's yeah. crazy. But the stunts and are amazing. The stunt work is incredible. If there's any movie, you know, everyone's talking, you know, having stunt work getting more recognition. You just watch this movie, and you're like, did people like really do this? And it's like, yeah, yeah, they really did. Yeah. And it's just an astonishing, astonishing. And the MV work. and the MVP, uh, the guy with the the. The flamethrower guitar. Oh yeah, the flamethrower. Uh, oh, I forgot what they call him. I used to know what they call him. Oh, oh man. No, oh, damn. Yeah, it. but now that you... guitar was actually. Yeah, that guitar was actually real. Yeah, oh yeah. That's what yeah. people don't understand. It's like it's actually a guitar with flames coming out of it, <laughs> which is just absolutely bananas to me that anybody would create something like that. And where can I buy one? 
Just, uh, just nah, that's not it. safe. That's <laughs> probably we don't not. need that. And you got like the names of the characters in this movie are nuts. Like, like, like Mad Max. You have Imperator Furiosa. This character is called Nux and like Rictus Erectus <laughs> and Immortan Joe. It's like who made like this is crazy. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's so original. That's what I really love about it. It's, it's very original. Yes, definitely. But before I go talk for another 20 years about this, um, what's your number one, Stephen? Because I'm very curious. Okay, number one. This one, is, I, 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 I love films that are more on a personal level. I love character movies. And I remember going to a little indie theater to see this film. And this was kind of our, I mean, it's not the debut. This is, But this was really the debut for all of us. To the director, Damien Chazelle. And that is Whoa. Whiplash. Um, whiplash about a, a jazz drummer who's you know making his way into in, into school or art school, um, and he gets picked into I guess you could say the the head jazz group in the school uh, to, and by played by uh, the man um, I'm forgetting his name for some reason. Uh, I'm going to look it up. I'm sorry, guys. This is not good. Uh, uh, but what's his name is in the movie? Um, well, J.K. J.K. Simmons is is the teacher. And Miles yes. Teller is is the jazz drummer, and um, this is in from in this movie is a battle of the wills um, throughout the whole movie where you know it's this movie about how far is too far when it comes to your art or you know you know what wh- whether it's competing in anything you know trying to be the best at something how far is too far when it comes to like trying to become the best at something. Um, and J.K. Simmons' character plays a very uh, morally um, ambiguous character, you know, because some people might say, hey, if it wasn't for somebody like that, our Miles Teller character might not have ever been as great as he is by the end of the movie. But is that really how we should get stuff done? Like, I don't know. It's it's pretty dangerous because some very disturbing things happen in this movie on our way to this greatness. Um, and it's just a very... It's a hard. It's a movie to when you watch it, you just are questioning what is right and what is wrong here. Um, and it's also got amazing music and some of the best editing I've ever seen in a movie. Um, the way they edit the cuts to the music is just fantastic. I mean, and of course the performance by J.K. Simmons. I think we shit. They were showing. Yeah, I saw that shit all over Facebook and stuff all the time. You know, get on my tempo was something that people would make fun of in, you know, comedy sketches and things like that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just such an intense, amazing film. And, um, yeah, I love it. It's probably my favorite movie of the decade. So, yeah, it's an amazing film. I think I saw it in theaters as well, or if not, I saw it on Blu-ray because I remember this was the film that really put Miles Teller on the map, yeah. and I already knew who J.K. Simmons was. I mean, he was in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films, and he was in a bunch of other movies as well. Um, but this was when Miles Teller was really on the rise, and he's also kind of drifted off a little bit over the last couple of years after having this kind of meteoric rise. But the real star is Damien Chazelle. Damien yeah. Chazelle has only done three movies in his career, and they've all been, in my opinion, very, very good to great. Yeah. Um, or I would say they're all great in my opinion. Yeah. Whiplash, La La Land, and First Man. I really love First Man. I know a lot of some people. Yeah, I'm, I'm 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 up and down on it. Yeah, I think it's it. 
Uh, that's a whole other story. We don't got time for this, but it's good. <laughs> it's good. I like it. I'll just say this: I like it. Uh, but La La Land, I think, is the one that got him the most critical acclaim. I mean, and damn. it's actually probably his most, you know, accessible. Well, it's his. Thing? No, no. I was gonna say it's his most diverse in the sense of who likes it and who doesn't. It got a lot of backlash. Yeah, it got a lot so. of backlash. Oh, it did, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I would. Some people have gone back on this movie and they hate this movie because they think it's about the white. Pe- it's it's a, it's a white movie. Oh, yeah. There was the whole thing where it's like, oh yeah, Ryan Gosling saves jazz. He movie. saves jazz. The and white like, guy saves jazz. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, he's a jazz enthusiast. Like he likes jazz and he's like a jazz pianist. But whatever. That's a whole different sure, La La yeah. Land discussion for a different time. He, um, but yeah, Damien Chazelle is. Uh, I would say not even rising star because he's already here. He's already here. But he's only like 32 years old and he's like. What's crazy is he was born in the same city I was born in two years before I was born. (laughs) So we're like, we're like the same. We're like brothers, basically. Yeah, basically brothers. Clearly, you know, damn, (laughs) connected, connected at birth just by two years. He's got, he's, he's definitely, you know, somebody that's interested in, um, classic film and foreign fi- like because i know his next film is going to be a uh, a musical and it's it, called babylon yeah and yeah. it's and it's apparently very inspired by um uh john uh demi um his films uh uh oh uh, uh umbrellas jacques demi. Uh, yeah jacques demi yeah. Uh, umbrellas well, of sherberg and things like that well, i mean la la land was literally oh yeah it was an homage to umbrellas yeah, Sher- yeah. Sherberg. just just in its aesthetic or is it, I'm like, sorry, I might be getting confused was. with something else, but well, I'm, think, I'm thinking of um, Wes Anderson's next film is going to be a musical. No, you probably That's are. what I'm thinking about. What is interesting is Babylon just has plot unknown, and Emma Stone is rumored as well as Brad Pitt. I, yeah, I got, I got, <laughs> wow. I got that confused with uh, what Wes Anderson's doing. He's doing a musical. We all do. Yeah, we all yeah. do sometimes. But um, yeah, um, but he still is. He's a very, very influenced by classic cinema, and and he's also very influenced in music. Yeah, too. very much in music. Yeah, it, the music in his movies are fantastic and i think because he has a music background i want to yeah yeah he's i think he's a jazz pianist um he i think you are because he was gonna do a film with miles teller about a jazz pianist but i don't think that's it it, i think was it miles teller supposed to be in la la land uh, i think initially he was gonna do it and then he i guess yeah I, i also the same thing with emma um wasn't emma stone supposed to it was gonna be somebody else other than emma stone but this is all all trivial Watson, stuff that maybe? we can. I think Emma Watson Emma was Watson, supposed yeah. to be in it, and she did Beauty and the Beast instead, yeah. or something like that. Um, interesting career choice. Um, yeah, but that's Damien Chazelle. He's really talented, and Whiplash. I honestly can't. I wouldn't fault you for saying that because of all the um, the lists I keep seeing for like best films of the 2010s. I keep seeing Whiplash really high. Yeah, and yeah it's, it's a great, great. It's a it's a damn good debut film. Yo, fuck. Imagine yeah. that as your first movie. Well, I th- I, I, honestly, <laughs> I do think he has another movie. I, I might be mistaken. He might have one other movie, but I might, I might be wrong. Um, I know he did a short for this before it came out, but I think he might have. Yeah, he did a short with uh, for Whiplash. I think he does have. Oh, he did. He did do a movie in two thousand and nine called Guy and Madeline. On a park bench. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but it was on the uh, Criterion Channel, uh, or oh. it was on Filmstruck when Filmstruck was around, and um, I didn't get a chance to I'd... watch it. Um, so technically, it's had... not his debut, yeah. but it's basically his debut because nobody saw that other movie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say it's his not follow up. It's uh, his coming out party. <laughs> yeah, his coming out film, basically. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so that's kind of be is both of our lists. Yes. That's kind of twenty ten. The twenty tens really spread out. <laughs> really spread out to five. Yeah, yeah. From twenty ten all the way up to twenty nineteen. Unfortunately, you probably noticed that none of the movies from like the last couple of years really made our lists. Although that doesn't say that there weren't amazing sure, movies yeah, in those know. years. Certainly, certainly so. Twenty nineteen. I'll say this so far. Not really impressing me that much. No. Nothing really. I mean, we're not in that that awards Oscar season yet. The, you know, the, the festival movies really haven't hit the theaters yet at all. Some have, and of course, I haven't seen. Haven't. I haven't seen everything, but I mean, no. But I mean, uh, I haven't seen everything either. I mean, if there was, if there were a couple of films that would have made this list from the last couple of years, you probably would have seen things from me like Moonlight. Yeah, Moonlight maybe. Or twelve. I mean, Twelve Years a Slave is an older film, but that was another film. Uh, that I really, that, you know, Steve McQueen is an amazing filmmaker. Um, things like Hell or High Water was a movie I really liked a lot. Um, it's really kind of just based off of what, how we were feeling in the moment. And I think when you come to lists like that, I think we all we all reserve the right to change our lists. Sure. It's not time. very definitive. It's, it's not it's, set it's, in stone. Yeah, it's just something that, you know, if I had to pick 10 movies, these 10, I feel like, encapsulate me the the best for my taste. Right. Um, I mean, you at, could le- at the moment. Pick- I mean, Nightcrawler. Yeah, Nightcrawler was something. actually on my list for a minute. And then was I, it on your yeah, list? And then I, I mean, it off. I mean, Eighth Grade almost made my yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. Because that movie really talk about a movie that's you know really. I mean, even a movie down to a movie like Warrior. Warrior came out. Oh yeah. And, and I love that movie. It's one of the best sports movies I think of the decade. Dude, I, I, yeah, I'm just looking at my list now. I had you know Creed. Uh, Roma, The Raid 2, which I think yeah. is one of the best action movies ever. Wolf of Wall Street is another one that I, of course, I mean, Silence. Really like. Silence is amazing. Silence is really good. Mud. I know we all really yeah. like Mud, a Jeff Nichols film. Yeah. Um, Taking Shelter. Yeah. 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 Take Shelter is another one. I had a separation, Asghar Farhadi's yeah. film, um, which is a film that, it's an Iranian film that really put him. Um, on the map, he keeps getting his films keep getting nominated all the time yeah. now for for best foreign I mean, language. I films. mean, even no, Nolan's other film, re, the, you know, Dunkirk. Dunkirk, amazing. Dunkirk could have been on this list easily. Um, yeah, so there's a whole whole, whole list of other films that could have been on this list but these are the films that these, we chose. these are the ones we decided to talk about and, and like we said at, at, you know at the beginning if you guys want to share your list with us we'd love to see them um, and, and maybe we'll read some off and talk about them on the next episode and and yeah I mean um, yeah we just like having conversations about film this this was a good chance to talk about a lot of films we haven't gotten a chance to talk about um, and um, that's what a list can do for you and yeah uh, it's a blast from the past certainly. Yeah, it really put me back into when i saw these movies and yeah i really like talk about time literally yeah. um and when we were talking about like movies that comment on time and things like that man i can't believe like all these movies came out so many years i can't ago believe i lived whatever. through all these movies yeah, yeah i can't believe in, my, it, in a lot of my formative years Wait, my, lived through my 20s um you know much, through these yeah. movies yeah but that's going to be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Um, where can we find you, Andrew? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cabzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, Podbean. Uh, I don't do YouTube anymore. It's just too much work. I don't, I, don't, I don't do the YouTube audio on there anymore. It's been a while since I've done it. So you don't have don't go there. I just don't do it. Anymore. It's just too much work. Um, and uh, so that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And hey, keep on watching the movies. I know I will. <laughs>